G'day, thanks so much for being here. This is Osher Ginsberg. It's better than yesterday. It's uh, a bunch of episodes that we got together, which are the biggest lessons, I guess, out of this year. Uh, I, I love making this show. We have a great team that makes the show. And I, I really love the lessons that I learn having these conversations. I approach each one with genuine curiosity. And yeah, sure, it's a huge excuse for me to just kind of speak with some of the biggest brains on the planet, to be honest, and uh, explore new ideas and new ways of thinking and be challenged. And the reasons I started this show are as true for me now as they were 10 years ago when I started it. I'm committed to making this day, this very day right now, better than the day I had yesterday. And whatever work I have to do on myself, on my home, on my relationship, on my family is worth it because if I let those things just expect them to just kind of keep going by themselves, it never works out and things kind of go from there. So it's a constant process. And I love that. I get a huge amount of purpose out of doing that. And this is a really special series of episodes that I've put together with the team that basically cover the, some of the biggest lessons I got from this year. And it was really important that I bring you this one particularly. So I learned a lot. This year, I learned a lot about why it's important to have uncomfortable conversations because when was the last time you actually had a conversation with someone that you really loved, really respected, but was, was uncomfortable when you heard something they said, you, you got the floods, your heart rate spikes, your hands shake, you, you wanted to not just show them how wrong they were for saying that, but to dominate them into submission to your idea. But did you stop to think about why I was uncomfortable? Were they being out and out racist, misogynist, cruel? Or were they pointing out something in you that you don't like? And instead of realizing that indeed, you may hold some views that you yourself might find quite awful rather than deal with the discomfort of you realizing you've got those things that you don't like, projecting that anger back at them. For example, you're probably 100% against vigilante justice. Fair enough. But if someone that you love and care about asks you, what if it was your child that was the victim? And you really picture it and the perpetrators, you know, in your mind's eye in front of you, do the feelings of rage that arise inside you make you uncomfortable? That just the fact that they're even there, that you might get upset at the other person for even suggesting that you would ever carry out an extrajudicial beating or worse. Uncomfortable conversations are vital to have. They test the truth that we accept as, as real between two people who disagree. If you're not very good at uncomfortable conversations, it's okay, Josh Zepps is, and the models that he demonstrates of having uncomfortable conversations are in every episode he does of his show of the same name, his podcast, which is since he's gone solo now, since we recorded this, he's left the ABC, he's gone solo. I'm very excited for what happens next. I get challenged every single time I speak with Josh, and I've known him a very long time. I, I trust him, man. I, I adore his intellect. I really believe that he and I feel we have a huge amount of similar values. And so when he challenges me on something, I, I'm i comfortable. I don't like it, but I, I truly relish in the practice of being challenged on my ideas by someone who I trust and consider a great friend because it's good practice to not feel like I myself am being challenged just the idea that I'm talking about. It's not personal, it's just the idea. I take a lot of big breaths when I speak to Josh. <laughs> do a lot of down-regulating, you'll hear it. But I do love it because he keeps me on my toes and he really helps me see 
the times that I have been sucked into thinking things that are actually the antithesis of what I think is progressive thought. And I think, oh, this is a really progressive idea to, you know, defend this person or be upset at that person for saying that thing. It's actually not. And I like that I get challenged on that. Josh has a very big brain on him. I can't wait for you to hear this chat. He's got an unflinching commitment to making the world a better place, largely by challenging the left, which he is a part of. And I love that he does because he's a powerful voice for change. And um, the conversations he has are really important if we're going to have any hope of having a consensus in our nation about how to solve some problems we're facing. Josh is absolutely committed to making the world a, a more just place, which I'm sure you will be as inspired by as I am. Before we get there, we're going to play some ads. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is extraordinary that if you tell me what you think about corporate tax rates, I can predict with reasonable certainty what you think about climate change, for example, or a First Nations representation in Parliament here. Like, why? These are all very different ideas. Why are we all ticking checkboxes that align in the same column if we're on the left or if we're on the right? I mean, you don't get to tell me what to believe or what to say. I'm going to have the conversations that I think are reasonable with people who I want to talk to, and we're going to try to make sense of this world. And if you think there's any other way that civilization is going to solve the major problems that we face, other than by talking to each other in a spirit of generosity and doing our best to understand each other and having conversations that are fearless and uncomfortable, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear how else we grope our way towards a better future. That is author broadcaster, podcaster, and all-around fairly excellent, funny human, Josh Zepps. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This podcast has been having conversations that have been making it better since 2013. I learn something every single show we do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, we're here. Um, Mondays, Wednesdays, we're the guest. Fridays, here with you each and every show. We're just trying to find what it does in the box. We're just trying to make it better than yesterday. That's what we do. I'm Osher. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a uh, uh, what else? What else am I? 
I'm a well, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm an Apple TV misdirector. Oh mate, I'm so sorry. No, the Paw Patrol's not working today. No, I've watched 17 episodes. We're not watching anymore. And I'm happy you're here. Thanks for being a part of it. I love seeing the pictures of what you're looking at when you listen to the show. I uh, call it a podsy, like a selfie, but a podsy. Take, you've got a phone. You're listening to this on a phone. It's got a camera on it. Take a photo. What are you looking at right now? Send us your email at gmail.com. Got a fantastic one from, I guess it's I guess the inner west of Sydney, a place called Glebe. And uh, it's a, you know, nearby university Lots of health food shops, kind of maybe some yoga studios. And there was a, um, uh, there's a picture, it's great. Uh, it's a picture of a sign kind of nailed into a Melaleuca tree. And it says, hey, do you like yoga? Try some downward dog when you're picking up your dog shit. It's fantastic. Because as a responsible dog owner, nothing makes me more angry than seeing other people's dog poo on the street because it's like cyclists who run red lights. I'm like, buddy, you're the reason people yell at me when I'm on my bike. Come on, nah. You're doing it for all of us. So, yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for sending it in. Send us your email at gmail.com. The Discord server's back up and uh, there's also a mailing list. that uh, All the links for that are in the show notes. So jump on board with both of those. We're going to get to Josh Sepps right now, who's fantastic. You can find Josh Sepps' podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations, where you found this podcast. He also has a sub stack, which involves a subscription, but it means you get the full versions of the pods, which I, there's only a few podcasts I, I actually subscribe to because I believe in supporting the artists that I really, really like, and Josh is definitely one of them. I love his shows. They're fantastic. And um, he's, he's also written a children's book about a thing called a swaddle doc. It's about becoming a parent. And um, when he was here at the house doing the podcast, I said to Wolf, oh, when he came upstairs, Wolf would come home while we were chatting. And I said to Wolf, oh, this is Josh. He wrote the book about the swaddle doc. He went, ah, oh! and he ran upstairs and made, you know, dragged Josh with him, went into his room, went through all his books, found the swaddle doc book, put it down on the ground, flip, 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 flip. And he opened up to a page where the little creature, the swaddle dog in the book, does a big poo. And he goes, look, poo. Yep. Brilliant. It's the, it's the universal joke and it's never not funny. It's so good. It was great. Josh is such a great dad. Enjoy this conversation with Josh Zebs. I'm very grateful you came. I'm grateful very, for the invitation. I'm very grateful you came back, Josh. Yeah, of course. Why would I? Thanks for coming. I'd come every week if. Well, that's not true. I'd come every. I'd come once a year. That'd be an <laughs> annual thing. We'd have it in the diary. I'd adore it. Yeah, it'd be great. I'd make you a coffee. I'd, I'd come be, back for the coffee alone. I'd come beautiful. back when you're interviewing other people, and I'd just sit in the corner over there and Please, drink my coffee. Critique. You're one of the best in the game. Mm. When I told my neighbour you were coming over, he's like, "Wow, he's a very good interviewer." It's like right. I know he is. But the good thing is I don't have to interview here. I'm not doing. He's very. I'm he's, not I'll the interviewer. Introduce you to my neighbour one day. He's yeah, good, he's a good bloke. Is he? Yeah, he's really nice. What's guy. his name? I'll tell you off air. Right. They're lovely people. I'll just I'll go through some names and you can just, if, if I say it, then just wink. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jono, Robbo, Richo, Bazza. No. Banger. No, but it's been a while since I've lived next door to the whole team from Bondo Rescue. <laughs> This is the Bondo Rescue. This is the Bondo Rescue microphone. By right, the way. Is, it's one of them. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, yeah. This is that is a the, true statement? Oh, yeah, effect? right over there. That's where oh. I do it. Right there. Isn't that great? That's where I do Bondo. Yeah, it's where you, you do Bondo Rescue. You got to have a voiceover booth in your house. That's the <sighs> key to success, mate. The key to I'm success. I'm setting one up. I got to get. I got to. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be at your service. I'd be. I'd love to help you make it. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's really important. It's really important that the access that you have to, you like somebody like you. 
the role you play, the voice you have, there should be no barrier to entry for you're fucking terrible with taking compliments. There should be no barrier to entry for you to put something out there. Thank and you. And you should not need to rely upon- It's great water as the, well. Did you smell the water before giving it to me? I trust the good people at Samsung and their filtration great. devices. Wow. Are um, they a sponsor? No. Oh, they should be. Samsung, get on the blower. The Koreans, bro. Koreans, like if your company's underwritten by the Korean government, really? you'll be fine. Hey, uh, is the Korean government a sponsor? Which Korea? Are the North Koreans sponsoring this show? No, nah, the South- Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd, a little more engineering, a little more trust in the engineering of the South Side. Yeah. Although I think they just blew up a nuke, the North. Cool. So that's good. Fucking awesome. Good for them. This is interesting, you know, because people, uh, there's so much to talk to you about, but I do have mm. one idea I want to speak Will to you about. Will we be talking and about anything it, other than North, the North Korean nuclear program? Because I came really prepared with a lot <laughs> of- There was notes. I have notes. A chat GPT sort of a whole dossier <laughs> Mate, for me. I've got- I got book. I got cardboard boxes that leave Trump to shame. They're the whole. I've got a car. I've got a youthful. Amazing. That's Sorry. That's what do you wanna, leave them? What are you talking um, about? That you know, one of and this is a kind of interesting, an interesting way in. We seem very much in our in our world and our reaction to whatever happens to be in the news. We've almost been trained, some would argue, by algorithms to rapidly go to the most reactive space that we know and that takes up our entire bandwidth very, very quickly, whether it be, ah, uh, there's a kid who wore pants to grade two and now this kid wears a dress in grade three and now they want to play soccer. Is the kid's name Jono? Jacko, well, it, it, it may have been, and now it's a feminine version of right. that. All right, and this is the thing. Now the fucking world is ending because yeah. this is happening and it's an eight-year-old child. Yet we all really fucking conveniently forget that they're moving nukes into Belarus mm. and it's fucking on, you know? Wait, the kid in a dress is moving <laughs> nukes into Belarus? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Someone needs to stop this child. And people are all about, oh, fucking take out Putin. It's like, really? You want 3,000 broken arrows just lying around? <laughs> are you fucking joking? Do you have any... The, like, you know my history with climate change. Yeah, I'm, I do. You know, terrified. A long, slow motion death is... Yeah. I, I've come, I'm at peace with it far yeah. better than I ever used to be, and it's through the work of great medication and great doctors. Mm. The, at least the upside to nuclear apocalypse, it'll be a... Hey, Josh, did you see that flash? And that will be it. Right, right. It will be over. But they're not coming for Sydney, are they? I reckon they would. I wouldn't come for Sydney. If I was Putin, I wouldn't come for Sydney. Ah, uh, I don't know. It depends. If you want to, if you want to flex some muscle, if you want to get at the Americans, you know, without, and if you want to get at uh, the West, they also don't have very many that can reach this far. They've got some subs. They're not going to get out. What, haven't you heard about the orcas deal? Our plucky <laughs> little subs are going to knock them off, knock them right in the head the moment they come down through the. I thought you were saying the orca, like the ones in the. In the, the, oh, the or, an orca. Like oh, there's a, a whole, there's an interesting pot of orca that have learned how to destroy rudders on sailing ships. Is that right? Yeah. I knew that there are in some Spain. porpoises. There, they've well, got some. Uh, they got some porpoises who are good at uh, spy like, porpoise. Yeah, spy porpoises. It's actually a show that I'm pitching to Paramount next <laughs> week. Yeah, spy porpoise. It's, it's, spy a, it's a procedural. Do you play the porpoise? Uh, I'm the voice of the porpoise. You're the voice of the yeah, porpoise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, love it. Yeah, and I it's just procedural. It. So if mm -hmm. essentially there's a problem, the porpoise figures it out. Right. I that love was it. Flipper, by the way. That was yeah. literally a TV show. Which is also the plot of Skippy. Yeah. I, I lost my and know, innocence <laughs> when I realized that Skippy and Lassie and Flipper are all the same. And the littlest show. hobo and 
It's a little before my yeah. time. Is it a little hobo? Is that a little hobo a dog or a bird? Yeah, or it was a, hobo? a dog. We're, look, we're from. I'm from Brisbane, man, and we just right. got the offcuts of whatever was not happening down south. So right. once they were done with the one inch umatics, they just set them up they to set us the and tapes they just up. rolled them. Yeah, and we were like, of this a is all there is. Right, we'll watch it. I th- I would like it if the littlest hobo were a little person who's a hobo with the stick and the, the stick satchel. and a little satchel around yeah. doing yep. little marks on the on the later boxes to know that this house is a good house. That would be great. Why that, not? That kind of thing. Let's do a remake of the Littlest Hobo where the Littlest Hobo it's like a it's like a Natasha Leone show where the Littlest Hobo <laughs> solves mysteries. Audrey was watching that last night. I was like, How is it? Oh, because she likes she Audrey likes the procedural. Yeah, I I can't deal with it. Uh, she's like, oh, I really. It's okay, but it's dubbed. It's like Octonauts where you can hear the same actors doing two different people and it really bothers me. And I said, oh, I picked up the remote. Choose language, Italian. <laughs> she was four eps in or three eps in. Right. And she's watching it in Italian. Watching it in dubbed English. Watching it in dubbed English yeah. over. I was quite annoyed by it. <laughs> That's all right. I, uh, look, I'm, That's I'm, grateful, nice. I'm grateful to have you here and I'm grateful for so your, what, thank your podcast. You. What were we talking about about um, algorithms? Oh, and that we have, then you went then you went all dark and nuclear. Oh yeah, and well exactly. Climate in that we are very busy uh, getting very upset about very small oh, things. I see. When the fact of the matter is that we probably but see. Been... I, I mean, I I have a slightly different take on that, which is I yeah. think that that we're we're busy getting upset about little things, but we're also busy getting strident about things that do matter. So it's I think it's less that we're not. Well, you're right that there's a huge what I call sort of attentional opportunity cost in focusing on the things that we choose to focus on. And and I just think since 9-11 really and the Iraq war, we've spent two decades talking about things that we don't really need to be talking about too much. Uh, They're just enormous own goals. I mean, the Iraq war was the the first big one in our lifetime, I think, where we all embarked on something that was a misbegotten thing from the start. Mate, and then, I was a, I was a part of a coalition of a will, of the willing. You were a p- part of the coalition of the willing. In so the, you like on, I didn't mean to be. You were firmly on the wrong side. Well, of I history. was there. Yeah. I was a part of it. <laughs> were you marching against the war? I did. There you go. I did. You were the coalition of the unwilling. I, I was cheese eating surrender monkey. Uh, How dare you! And this you is kind of what I want to chat to you about. Troops. This is what I want to chat to you about. Is that having you've lived in America? I've mm. lived in America. It, the nature of what it is to be human is to be like to be kind of have a little bit feeling this way about that a little bit feeling a bit this way about that there's very very little in humanity that we all go this is a hundred percent whenever we're never all the way awake and we're never all the way asleep right you know and that is what it is to be human there is there's a curve to the end of the oscillation there's no hard angles yet we are being almost and for years now probably been trained by the way we consume information about the world outside of our homes to accept it, that it is this or that. And that is not the way it is. And when I marched against the Iraq war, it wasn't, the only reason was like, there has to be another Mm. way to do Mm. this. Doing what we are about to do is probably not the best thing and will not be the best thing. There's got to be another way. I don't think that complete despots should massacre people with gas. Mm. No, I do not. Controversial hot take, Osha. It's not. Look. Controversial. If you're an ethnic minority, Mm. I think you should just be able to go and do the thing that you were peacefully doing and not die from inhaling chlorine and having your children dictator. Yeah, that's terrible. I mean, it's interesting that you say, yeah, the the point about kind of nuance. I, I mean, I remember at the time I didn't march, 
But I did go on the radio on some panel show where, and I made the point that if if the US was putting a trillion dollars on the table with a Marshall Plan for Iraq and was like, okay, this is what's going to happen, Saddam's going to go, and then we're going to invest in all this and this is how we're going to rebuild it and this is how the democracy is going to work, then I would be in favour of the war. I just don't believe that they actually know what they're doing well enough and that they're going to invest enough in the reconstruction uh, to make it viable. So I wasn't anti-war. I was just anti, as Obama says, dumb wars. But just to finish my point about granting you the uh, the, the credit on the point of, of us focusing on the wrong things before I swiftly do a U-turn and then demolish that point as well, we have had this opportunity cost where the Iraq war means that we spend the next 10 years debating how to get out of that war. And then the global financial crisis happens and we spend quite a long time figuring out what to do about that because of mistakes that were made in liberalising the financial sector, uh, mostly during the Clinton years. And then, uh, you know, that kind of leads into all of the strife that leads us to Brexit and to Trump. And then we have all these conversations about Brexit and Trump, which is an opportunity cost when we could have been talking about things like climate chaos. I mean, just imagine the... As the thought experiment, imagine if 700 voters vote a different way in Florida in 2000 and Al Gore gets in and uses 9-11 as an excuse to supercharge uh, the climate. Let's get off oil, everybody. The climate crisis and Let's tell us to get off oil, oil, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and instead of Iraq, we embark on a, a massive anti-fossil fuel global reform. Mm. It's conceivable, and in which case we'd be living in a very different uh, different universe. So I take your point that there are big things that we could be talking about yeah. that we're not talking about. However, I also think that there are big things that we are talking about and should be, yeah. which we're not talking about with any nuance or sophistication because, well, largely I think we can lay the blame mostly at the media and social media and algorithms mm. uh, because we engage with them as if they were neutral platforms. We engage with with our feeds as if they were accurate representations of what the people we're following yeah. are doing when, in fact, of course, they're just maximised for the amount of time that we're going to spend on the site, which means maximizing engagement. Like you can't, Zuckerberg said that he, he wants meaningful connection, that that's the purpose of Facebook and Instagram, meaningful connection. You can't measure meaningful connection. You can measure likes and clicks and comments and shares. So you measure those things as proxies for meaningful engagement, but of course they don't yield meaningful engagement. Yeah. What they yield is an extremification machine which just wants to prod you constantly mm. and wants to get a rise out of you. Yeah. And the way that it does that is either by reinforcing what you already believe mm. or by caricaturing things that you don't that you already disagree with yeah. so that you know, you're motivated to comment on them and, and share them. And so we're living in this hall of mirrors and, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're increasingly, it's not, it's not the case that we don't see things that we disagree with online. Sometimes mm. you hear opponents of social media say that, that we're just in a silo and you only see people you, you agree with. That's not true. I mean, if you're a green supporter, you'll frequently see Andrew Bolt uh, you know, conservative columnist in your feed. And if you're a conservative, you'll frequently see former Greens activist Lydia Thorpe in your feed. But you'll see the most extreme and ungenerous version of whatever it is that they're saying in your feed because that's going to rile you up and it's yeah. going to stoke your engagement. Yeah. So I'm, I don't think it's necessarily true that we shouldn't be talking about little Johnny who's now wearing a dress like... I think it's fair enough to ask yeah. the question, how do we make sure that this traditionally shat upon 
sexual and gender minority of transgender people are embraced and given all the opportunities that everyone would want them to have. And at the same time, how can we ensure that the centuries-long project of feminist liberation and the right of women to conceive of themselves as a group, as a biological group, and the right of women to have safe spaces and rape victims to have places where they can congregate with other biological women, how can those two things be balanced? But of course, nobody... There is no incentive for the algorithm for us to have a reasonable conversation about. The incentive for the algorithm yeah. is for the feminists to believe that chicks with dicks are trying to invade their spaces and for the trans activists to Scream believe- Scream turf very loudly and yeah, have no one- Yeah, and, and to and believe that, they're, un that yeah. they're under threat and that, that any attempt to assert yeah. womanhood as a category is, uh, is an attempt to discriminate against transgender people. And so that's just one- I mean, you, you picked one example, which is the most hysterical and probably nonsensical yeah. example that currently exists, yeah. but there will be others. And in, the time, in the time I've known you, though, and I, I was thinking about this, I was, I was, you know, cleaning up. Yes, I did clean up before. So I, would, I mean, yeah. your place is a fucking shithole. I, I know. mean, there is stuff you everywhere. You should have seen it before. <laughs> wow. Wow. But I, I thought, mean, it's oh, Josh, has got, Josh has got twins, man. I have twins. I understand. Right. I'm not being like, critical. Like, I mean, it's a, a good shithole. Like, it's a nice shithole. I got my coffee. Because you I got I my made delicious. lovely coffee and wet water. North Korea-sponsored water. In the time I've known you, I have been someone who has been a vulnerable to both of these things. There was a time, wildly, I would actually buy, and I can't believe I'm going to say this in documented form, considering my fraught relationship with these people, I would buy the Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph? Every day. Only the most popular tabloid newspaper in Australia? I would buy it every day, and I would sit there at the cafe on Campbell Parade in Bondi, and I would read it, and I'd be like... Oh, oh my God! Right. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, you'd hate read it. And I would. Oh, I would be like, "That's awful! I can't believe those people are doing that." Like, wait, were you agreeing with I the columnist? I could feel oh. myself. Being, oh, you weren't hate reading. No, you love reading. I could it. feel myself making getting sweet love. To I was getting tabloid. seduced by. Yeah, right. I was getting seduced. Maybe it was the fact that I was reading it while I was drinking coffee. But yeah. I was getting seduced by. Was it the, exactly twenty-one grams of coffee though? Uh, that cafe, yes. Really? Uh, at the that's the sweet number. In case it's no secret, that's the number. Is it? Uh, yeah, I was getting seduced by the the rush of. Rage, outrage, yeah. anger. I was yeah. seduced by that. And I, I would start to search for that and look for it and try to find it. Mm. And I think eventually I was, uh, it, it, it didn't last long, but it was, I was very lucky to have some beautiful people whom I work with. One of, you know, whom is, is Yumi Steins, who's kind of calmly explained to me one mm. day, like, that's only one side of things. And, mm. you know, because I didn't really go to university to have exposure to, you know, the kind of thought that happens in those campuses. Um, and so did Yumi recruit you into being a raging communist? No. No, not really. No. no. But definitely went, that's Maybe. the point. It was Jimmy as well. He goes, that's the point. Then I flipped. I was yeah. like, I can't believe that they... Other people believe this is real. Then I did start to hate read. I yeah. can't believe that people say, this is not true. This is not, when I look out the street, that's not what I see. Yeah. And I start to, then I flipped. It's like, yeah. that's awful. And Jimmy would explain to me, he's like, but that's the point. 
Mm. That's that's why exactly. they write like that. Yes. It's not to inform. And you do have to be mindful of that as well. Yeah. I mean, on my podcast where we try to uncomfortable conversations, if people aren't familiar with it, the safe space for dangerous ideas, where we try to have conversations that trigger whatever tripwires there are, or mm. rather just don't give a shit about the tripwires and tread on whatever eggshells uh, the culture wants us not to tread on. You have to be mindful not to get caught in the trap of being mm. the kind of predictable contrarian as well. Like, you know, I could do every single podcast about how crazy wokeness is and uh, how cancel culture has gone nuts and my audience would grow and grow and grow because there's an appetite for that yeah. because everyone that's, loves to... That's a cartoon that's of, right. of ScoMo playing ukulele. Yeah, everyone exactly. gets to that's laugh right. at it. That's right. And you can do it on both sides. Yeah. And both sides do it very uh, yeah. effectively. So it's yeah. it's difficult to keep your feet grounded mm. and to go, well, hang on. We're, I guess I call it the little bullshit detector. You know, yeah. everyone's got a bullshit detector and you sort of, you sort of know... If something feels too right, mm -hmm. I think that's a good indication that it's wrong. Right. If you have a sense of certainty or or in your own crusade, yeah. No one no instinct has done more damage to humankind over the course of many a civilization than a pious certainty in one's own righteousness. You know? Yeah. Hitler had it, Stalin had it, McCarthy had it in the McCarthy era, <laughs> the witch hunters had it in yeah. Salem, and you see it a lot today. You know, this whole cancel culture kind of anti-woke mm. crusade that's going on seems to sort of portray the left as being uniquely censorious or hysterical. But, mm. I mean, this has traditionally been a feature of the right. I mean, I mentioned McCarthy. You know, no one's more hysterical and pearl-clutching and censorious as, <laughs> See what the, you there. <laughs> as, as, the, as the right has traditionally been. Yeah. It's just that at the moment we do live at a cultural moment yeah. where the mainstream orthodoxy, the sort of dogma about what one is supposed to believe has been captured by what calls itself a social justice movement, yeah. what, what I would call a, a sort of anti-universalist yeah. movement. And, you know, I sort of think of myself as representing a, a universalist strain of the broad left where it's not about tribes pitted against each other in a zero-sum game, yeah. you know, attacking each other and turning up the volume on our differences. Yeah. It's about trying to find as much common ground as we But you've also been kind enough can. over the years, particularly with me, you've been kind enough to say, like, hey, really watch out for that SJW stuff, buddy. You're starting to really... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> go down that line. And yeah. it, because I know you and you're not someone who's trolling me, because you took the time to look me in the eye and say that, it did make me think, go, mm. actually, I am just, I am essentially, I'm just being the, the mousetrap to the ping pong ball on the Curiosity Show. I'm not even thinking. And that's actually not how I feel. And it was then kind of exploring that and wildly the ABC Vote Compass I started doing that. It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. What surprised you about that? I'm far, far more centrist than I thought I was. Right. But far more centrist right. than I thought I was. Yeah. I've had uh, two hip replacements all on the same side. I, so I do list a little <laughs> to the left. <laughs> but, you know, I have economic thoughts and feelings about what we should be doing, as you know, as you mm. know, about mm. what I feel we should be doing with our, our natural resources and things like that, that are very capitalist in nature and, you know, very much with wealth and growth and expo exploiting those mechanisms of wealth uh, building for a nation. 
but for the end of helping everybody right. versus wealth building for a nation to give tax-free benefits to you know, yeah. other I mean, people. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, what does even left and right mean? I mean, you know, yeah. does, is it left-wing to leave all the metal in the ground or is it left-wing to dig it up and impose a very, very high tax on super profits and then use that to create a Norway-style, uh, you know, national fund? Well, you know what I feel? I feel, I feel the latter. Yeah. Because so, the, uh, the metal's going to come out of it, like, at some point, Getting perfect to be the enemy of good, I think, is a big... Right. That's where, that's where we really fucking trip ourselves up. Right. And it was when I started being public about the way I ate, and I only eat plants, right? Yeah. And being asked to do these things for various vegan causes, I'm like, I can't go there because it's such a race to purity that I'm not... I don't want to be right. a part of. Interesting. I don't want to be... Oh, yeah, those shoes that you lend, they don't you didn't buy, but you do wear them yeah. on camera. Yeah. That's dead cows. Mm. Like, yeah, mm. it is. And I'm, I mean, it's some uh, of the meds I take. No, I, mean, I have a huge, and I'm like, I yes. have a huge amount of respect for you that you've made that that decision personally as well. Because I mean, it does. It comes back to the to Gandhi's mantra of be the change that you want to see in the world. He actually you know, never said that. Is that right? <laughs> he never said it. Oh, okay. I, I put it, it in one of the w- keynotes that I do. He actually never said it. Who it's said it? I don't know. Where did not it come him. from? Well, I said it. I quoted Josh it. Zepps I, once, said, once said it. Be the change I you wish to see in the world. Once said, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't tell people what to do. Just do it. Be it. Yeah. And I mean, this, you know, on the left and right, I really think the more interesting matrices at the moment are sort of complexity versus simplicity. Yes. Uh, you know, purity philosophy, like how how self, self-righteousness, self I suppose, versus yeah. generosity. Uh, I've been very much seduced by the self-righteousness as well. Yeah. Because it is in that space that I can feel outrage, mm. just mm. the license to be outraged. And you yeah. see that. You see that sometimes. Uh you were so generous to come on uh, NTNN, NNN. It was so Great fun. It was Great fucking fun. awesome. We pitched next show. week, actually. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got the Break real. I'll show, you the, I'll show you the real. Great. Libby Gore came on our show and, you know, I was telling the cast, because some of our cast are quite young, and mm. I was letting them know, you know, this is the a woman who had the first Tonight Show, by, like the only woman ever to be given a live Tonight Show in Australia. She was commissioned for 32 episodes and some shit went down on the first episode and the outrage just before the internet existed just destroyed, destroyed mm. whatever career she had. I don't even remember what happened on that episode. Oh, Chopper Reed was her first guest right. and he'd been out of prison for, I think, three weeks. Yeah. And so he was left alone in a green room with two six-packs of VB and a it's French. It's not a low-risk booking. No, it is a low risk booking. But I think, as far as you know, guest producers and things like that, there may have been an assumption that he was going to be all right. right. And he, he went, he went on, he went on air and started making, you know, making jokes about, um, you know, yeah. shoving a man in a concrete mixer and he wouldn't die, so he had to keep. Were they him. going live? Were they, they were live, live. They were on the ABC, live. yeah. And it was, it, it's complete outrage. But it just went on for weeks, mm. and people were fueled by mm. this feeling of I'm justified because mm. he made this thing about it, mm. and it's a woman. How dare she? And you know, the career I have, the career you have, there are people 
that I work with that have been cancelled mm. while I've worked with them. Yeah. And it's never justified, man. Mm. It's never fucking justified. I mean, it's almost, uh, look, and the cancel, the actual examples of overt cancellation are nowhere near as widespread as the the examples of uh, just sort of a lack of career advancement or a lack of risk taking or a general cautiousness. It's it's rarely as cut and dried as, uh, you know, person said X and therefore person got cancelled. There are those instances. It does yeah. happen. But the problem of the of the chilling effect on the conversation is is more subtle than that. It's, it's more about people prejudging themselves about what they can and can't say because they're afraid of being overlooked for career advancement if they get a reputation as the yeah. person who ruffles too many feathers. Tell me, the the idea of simplicity versus complexity doesn't fit with the way that we observe the world around us outside of our immediate home. You know, we just don't have the bandwidth. We're not mm. designed mm. to explore the nuances of, like, we started watching Chimp Empire on Netflix. Oh. We just started last night, Right. right? I don't have the bandwidth. Like a good friend of mine, she's from Uganda. She escaped. It's a fucking heavy story. But to understand how a bunch of scientists can exist for 30 years in the, such a politically difficult part of the world, I can't. I just sit there and watch them watch the chimps walk around on screen. Yeah. Like it's just too much for me <laughs> to even fathom how these people can do their job. Yeah. You know, so I just need to hear the narrator go, and the scientists have said, oh, mm, cool, mm. that's oh, what it is. Oh, they said it, yeah. That's not good. like right. we've done, literally bribed people for decades yeah, so right. we can be yeah, here and not yeah. get shot yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know? uh, so simplicity versus complexity doesn't fit how we observe the I mean, world. here's a good, I'll give you a good rule of thumb about how you're doing on that metric. Mm. Something where you think it's pretty simple, like it's pretty cut and dried, right, where you're pretty sure you know what's right and you know what's wrong. Yeah. Uh, a good way of testing that is to articulate your opponent's point of view in a way that that they would agree with. Yeah. It's surprisingly hard to do. It's this, surprisingly hard to do. And this is kind of one of the things I wanted to discuss with you, which is why I love your show, is you're modelling ways to recognise another person's humanity and validity of opinion at the same time as disagreeing with them. Yeah. Which is something that I think we... There's very little benefit of the doubt. The idea of like, I'm right and you should never speak again. Mm. Better still, I'm right and you should fucking die. Yeah, yeah. Also just the caricaturing, I mean, of like, I was talking the other day about, do you know the great replacement theory? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so, uh, it is, yeah, it is. So I was having a conversation. It's a on, white supremacist Yeah, so on Uncomfortable thing. Conversations, we were talking about the great replacement theory recently and- I had listened to, I think it was a New York Times podcast or it was some other, you know, fairly progressive outlet that was characterising mm. the Great Replacement Theory as a conspiracy theory that the immigration policies of Western countries have been coordinated in order to give a white cabal of lefties control over everything because brown and black migrants are more compliant and will vote left wing more often once they migrate, right? <laughs> and so the basic of the Great Replacement Theory is that the white populations of Western countries are being intentionally replaced with inferior people. Mate, from I want to go down to Bunnings and buy a fucking tiki torch and just walk around <laughs> a statue shouting. That's how fucked off I am right now listening to that. So how would you do a generous 
yeah. interpretation of a, an, an idea so noxious. It's a good thought experiment. And the fact that we don't try yeah. means that we're less equipped to defeat it because what's happening is we're losing our mm. what's happening what's happening when we become comfortable and morally righteous on either side of the political aisle is we actually lose the ability to understand why we believe what we believe in the first place yeah. and we therefore lose our ability to sound convincing to anyone who isn't already in agreement with us and i think that's the most actually terrifying thing civilizationally if if we end up not being able to communicate yeah. with people who aren't already on our page it's not like this is a thing that's restricted to american politics not at there's all. there's literally people standing on the street in in australia doing the nazi salute yeah it's absolutely right. happening so there's some cohort of so you're never going to win over the people doing the nazi salute on the steps of the victorian parliament okay so consider them as being gone but consider that there's a, a, a bunch of concentric circles mm. going out from that. And at some point, you're reaching a concentric circle of people who are broadly, quietly sympathetic to the idea that there are too many migrants coming in mm. and that there's something fishy about people on the left pretending there's no problem with immigration, yeah. right? And constantly dismissing this as a valid concern and accusing anyone who is anti-immigration of being racist. And they may, they may be winnable. You may right. be able to talk in ways that yeah. can swing that outer ring of semi-racists mm. away from racism and towards justice. And the way you have to talk, so then you have to do the mental gymnastics of trying to think, okay, well, all right, what is the most reasonable version of my opponent's arguments? This is speaking not from the perspective of Josh Sepps, but from the perspective of someone who hates you know, anti-immigration is super pro-migrant. Just so happens that I am pro-migrant as well. But uh, for the sake of argument, yeah, I'm just I, yeah. just saying this is not a political argument coming from me. This is a thought experiment. So there has been massive demographic change in Western countries in the past generation. Yeah. We have gone from in 1980 being a place where you walked down the street and everybody was white and spoke with an Australian accent with maybe a few Italians and Greeks thrown into the mix to being one of the most diverse countries in the world. Look at the streets of London in 1980 versus today. It's a completely different place. London has become a global, cosmopolitan, mm. dynamic, international hub. It's not an English city anymore. Yeah. You know, There are people alive today who, are, who remember when it was an English City, and it is not that anymore. So I think it's legitimate for people to have some kind of demographic anxiety mm. about the fact that the town or suburb that they grew up in has completely changed over the course of their lives. Yeah. The job of the person who's pro-immigrant is not to say that that is not a concern, that it shouldn't be a concern, that they're racist for having that concern, that it's an illegitimate concern, and then just to stick our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 let's keep increasing immigration and to dismiss any concern that they might have about public transport being too crowded, hospitals being overloaded, schools being you know, under yeah. stress, about the rate of property development not keeping up with the rate of immigration so that property prices go up. All of these yeah. concerns are not evidence that the person is racist necessarily. So the thing to say is, yeah, Australia's a heaps better place because of all of this, and we have to manage this in these ways, so let's figure out how state governments can invest in the infrastructure that we need so that we can have this, and let's address your concerns about that in these different ways. I think that's a harder thing to do than just to say, racist, <laughs> racist, you're an anti-immigrant, you're anti-immigrant, so you're racist. Yeah. 
that's an easier thing to say. Yeah. But it also ensures that that outer ring of concentric circle remains allied to the or, racist side or, of things. And you or never drives them further inwards. Yeah, exactly. Because Possibly. they're like, I don't, I belong less with you yep. and more with you. Yeah. So I'm going this way. Yeah. Because it feels you get me more than they get that's me. That's right. And I think that explains. Trump to some extent. I don't think that explains Brexit to some extent. Yeah. Now, Russell Brand <laughs> said of Brexit that, you know, if you spend a generation screwing people economically, allowing globalisation to take away their jobs, allowing rural communities to decay, and you swan around as a kind of global elite uh, of bankers on left and right and pay no heed to the demographic concerns and economic concerns of the middle of the country. And then you give them a big red button that says, fuck off, which is what Brexit was. Yes or no? Yes or no? (laughs) You want us to fuck off or not? Then yeah, don't be surprised when a lot of them press the big red button called fuck off. It doesn't mean they had any particular opinion about Brexit. It means they saw it as a big red button that said, Fuck off. You mentioned his name, so I'll ask, I know you know him. Mm. I, I don't anymore. I mean, I... Well, okay. Well, this yeah. is where I was going to go. Like, I'd love to I'd love to chat to him. Because Russell, he's he someone whom I admired so much. I, I, I came to him early on when, I, you know, I was getting bootleg MP3s of mm. his radio show. Yes. You know, in the mid-2000s. So good. In yes. The and it was fucking unbelievable. Hilarious. Right? And then... Through the incredible work that he's done around the sobriety community, which cannot be understated, yeah. how many people he helped, millions, I'd dare say. That's not an exaggeration. He's unbelievably talented, thinks a million billion miles an hour. Yeah. And things turned a corner. Mm. And I kind of had to disengage a bit because mm. he started saying some stuff online. And, Explain and, to and people what what you're talking about. Well, he, he, he went. He, I think he had a book tour. He had a book tour, and he started speaking about these anti-globalization things. And he started speaking in simplistic terms, and then quite rapidly realised I'm bringing a knife to a gunfight. And he went back to university, and he studied, and he tried to get a far more nuanced approach because he's like, if I'm going to do this properly, I need to actually start thinking in better ways than just this or that. And then. You know, the pandemic did a lot for a lot of people. Yeah, and it did some pretty strange things to a lot of a lot of people as well. And I started to hear Russell start to go in very strange directions. And this person whom I used to rather admire started to do some things that I was like, "Buddy, whoa, hang on a second there." Hmm. And now I I I have a difficulty engaging in the stuff he does. I can't listen to him anymore. COVID broke a lot of brains. Yeah. It really did. And COVID combined with social media and being online broke a lot of brains. There was some good that came out of everybody being in the cesspool of online and not out in the real world. Like, for example, I think the racial reckoning of 2020 probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. After In the wake of George Floyd's murder, I think just everyone being inside and online allowed that to erupt in a way that whilst the riots were regrettable, sparked a a global conversation about race that we sort of had to have. Yeah. However, something else has happened where you've got these intelligent people, uh, Brett Weinstein, who uh, I knew, who I had on my podcast, university professor at a very left-wing college in the northwest of the United States who took a, a courageous stand 
against, um, you know, when was really hounded and pilloried by mobs of, uh, of radical students on campus and stood up, and he's a very left-wing guy, stood up for small-l liberal principles and has since become probably the world's leading ivermectin proponent and vaccine skeptic. Majid Nawaz, a former Islamist dissident who, who created a, a charity for ex-Muslims to protect ex-Muslims and to spread versions of Islam that were less radical. Mm. Can you imagine a, a more noble thing to do with your life in the wake of 9-11? Uh, you know, he spent time in an Egyptian prison and subsequently became a champion of human rights for everybody. Uh, now, you know, got fired by LBC, the radio station in the UK during the pandemic for his anti-vaccine conspiracy theories and now expounds the theory that the whole thing was basically a, a, a test to get populations to get used to being more compliant so that the governments would be will be able to implement a, a totalitarian uh, wow. digital kind of credit regime upon us. And yeah. that was just the first stage in a global uh, authoritarian takeover. Um, Russell Brand, who hasn't gone quite that far, but who, as you say, I knew pretty well in the mid 20 teens. Uh, he was on HuffPost Live, which was a, a TV network that I was a, a host of in New York. And uh, we had some great conversations. Probably the, the favorite interview I've ever done was uh, was with him. And even at the time, he was a radical. I mean, he was talking about, he was saying, don't you think we need a revolution, Josh? And I'd be yeah. like, no, you know, I don't, think, I don't think that's the solution. But he's now got to a point where it seems like he, he believes that I mean, you mentioned Ukraine, you know, he, he basically, a lot of these people are on, I wouldn't say Putin's side, but are on such a side that is so skeptical of Western intervention mm. uh, and Western support for Ukraine and the military industrial complex that they think that they're being really edgy about seeing through the hypocrisy of the United States. When in actual fact, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's actually the nuanced and sophisticated take on, on this. Um, you can't drive tanks over a over a border and just take other people's countries in the 21st century. No, um, but it does, sorry. you mentioned three people who are, you know, we saw, spoke about the concentric rings. They're all people looking for answers. They're yeah. all looking people, they're all, and hopefully simple answers. Yes, and that's right. while you've just described some pretty complicated explanations mm. for mm. things, we are, we are, unfortunately, we are kind of trapped by the way our brains make sense of stuff. Yeah. And we just need to work things out. And yeah. If we can't work things out, we don't feel at ease. And this is how we manage to invent things mm. and how we innovated and created things like the water wheel or the water filter or a coffee machine or whatever. We take the information in front of us and try to reverse engineer it to make it sense, mm. make it make sense. Yes. And justify as a... Uh, your mate, our mate, my mate, Jonathan Haidt says, we justify the feeling in our body. You know, this is clearly what's happening. Yeah. Because I wouldn't feel this otherwise, mm, mm. Um, which is wild because that's uh, the, have you spoken to George Paxanos? No. Fuck, man. Do I need to? He, no one has. Put him on my phone out right now. No one put him, has. Put him on the list. No one has mapped more areas of the human brain than George Paxanos. He is the fucking cartographer of the ages. He okay. is a uh, Greek Australian. Spends yep. half his year here, half his year, and and I, I interviewed him online. Uh, he had a, he just wrote a novel, and we just the whole chat was about free will and how you know we don't have it. Yeah, and he was right. telling me what you decide is simply you justifying 
the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's your decision. You don't actually have a decision. So, well, I mean, although, I mean, uh, yeah, Sam Harris would go even further and the, and the, the hardline skeptics of free will would, would not rest the justification of free will on our neurological understanding of the fact that, uh, you know, so there are these studies that, that show, which I'm sure is what he's referring to there, that, that show that before you're consciously aware of a decision that you're making, yes. we can already detect that there's electrical activity yeah. in the direction of that decision. Yeah. So prior to picking the, you know, the red button or the or the black button, your yeah. brain's already made the decision and yeah. then you make it after that. Sam Harris's point is even if that weren't true, even if that gets debunked, at the end of the day, even the claim that you feel like you have free will is itself an illusion. Yeah. Like, like in other words, the illusion of free will is itself an illusion. If you actually pay close attention to what's happening when you pick between red and black, yeah. the moment before you pick, even if it's something that's going on in your brain that at the exact same moment as you make the decision, you can't really articulate why it was that you chose the thing that you choose, which is, oh, I've made a conversation for an entirely other, other day. A whole other time. But it, it's tricky to get your head around. Yeah. If you've I mean, never... I'm not sure I buy it. I mean, if, to me, it seems it seems like sophistry in a way. It's a little bit like the simulation argument. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a yeah. there's a I, I can't find a, a, anything wrong with the simulation argument, which which goes along and nor can Elon Musk and nor can a lot of other brainy people. The basic idea is, at some point in the future, it will be the case that we will devise systems that are intelligent enough that you'll be able to have a, a program running in a computer that is so sophisticated that it feels like something to be that that program. You know, there's, there's no fundamental impediment to why artificial intelligence shouldn't mm. exist. If you don't think, if you're not a religious person, you don't think there's something magical about the pixie dust that we've been sprinkled with as biological human beings. There's no reason why mm -hmm. a sufficiently intelligent system made of silicon couldn't have the same kinds of experiences as a sophisticated brain made of meat and carbon. And if that's the case, if you buy that premise, then at some point we will have things that feel like something inside computer programs and lots of real creatures will create all kinds of simulations of alternative universes. What happens if we tweak things a little bit this way, make people a little bit, make these creatures inside the simulation a little bit more greedy, a little mm. bit more generous, let's run simulations. And needless to say, there will be, as civilizations expand across the universe, uh, billions, trillions, hundreds of trillions of these these simulated universes in existence, right? In which case, the likelihood of any conscious entity being an actual physical <laughs> being in the actual real universe is just vanishingly small. It's almost certain that anything that has consciousness is a consciousness that's in one of these simulated systems. So it's almost certain statistically that you and I are in a matrix I love it. Inside a computer at some point in history once that has been And developed. you know what I love about that, Josh, is it means that already absolutely nothing matters. Yeah, and, that's right. And, but even, here's the and thing. now, like, nothing matters even more. Right, but nothing already mattered. Like that's within, true. So within, unless there's a way of breaking out of the matrix, within the context of the matrix, what the hell does it matter whether or not the universe is, in, is a simulation inside a computer yeah. or whether it was created by Yahweh? I mean, there's no, there's no difference. And similarly... So I don't have free will. What does that change about anything other than maybe giving me a bit more compassion to people who, uh, you know, are murderers or, or yeah. maniacs? You know, there was this there was this case of the of the shooter who shot people in the United States from the top of this church tower. Oh, the tower, and, yeah. yeah. It was at Texas University. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. And before he, before he went on his shooting spree, he wrote a 
manifesto in which he said, I think there's something wrong with me. I want you to to do an autopsy on my brain mm-hmm. because I haven't been feeling like myself. And they autopsied his brain. And sure enough, there's a tumor in his brain pressing against the part of your brain that exhibits self-control and compassion. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion from that is, okay, well, you get a tumor and you go out and you kill a bunch of people, you can blame the tumor, but the tumor is just something going on in your head. Mm-hmm. And everything we do and experience is something that's going on in our head. We didn't choose to have the brains we have any more than he chose to have the tumour. So in a sense, it's tumours all the way down, as Sam Harris puts it. So where does that leave us? I don't know. I'm still sitting here talking to you, feeling as if I'm coming up with the words that I'm coming up with. So what difference does it make? Again, a podcast for another time, but uh, I love, uh, you described it in, in a beautiful way for people who otherwise haven't really kind of thought about it that much. It is it is tricky to kind of understand that ultimately we are, as you said, there's a bag of kind of carbon and, and goo inside our skull that just has electrical impulses running around inside mm. it and connected in various different ways. Do you uh, think it could outlast the physical body? How do you feel about it? Oh, no. No, man. And I'm so happy about that. Right. I'm like... When my heart ceases to beat, when my oxygen supply no longer can synthesize the glycogen in my body to create, you know, whatever energy is needed to make my brain work, then it's over. Mm. And then I just become a bunch of cells. We've got two compost bins and two worm farms out the back. <laughs> and All you right. got in them. Well, I just go back. What could be more perfect than I just go back into, I am already made, every atom in my body has come from trillions of miles away. Mm. You know, I am already literally made of stars. You know, when you think about it, yeah, I really yeah, am. Yeah. Everything in this room has come from uh, colossal distances. I'll just go back to be a part of that. And we are quite literally made from stars in the in the Carl Sagan sense yeah. that uh, that you know human Star beings stuff. are made of, uh, of of impurities in the universe. Yeah. I and mean, almost all of the universe is hydrogen and a few other. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, we are, we are made up of very rare compounds that are actually yeah. produced inside the nuclear explosions in yeah. stars. And, and in the middle of all this, we get upset about you know. Kids who want to dress a different way and get called a different name, you know, while they're either figuring stuff out or have figured it out, mm. doesn't matter. That's the thing that takes up our our brain. Is this Jono in the dress who put the nukes into Belarus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Screw it's, him. He's a powerful kid. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, though, for people who perhaps want to, if you know you're on your vote compass like me, and you yeah. you find yourself kind of centrist, my dear friend Luke Heggie, who I adore, has this fucking amazing line in his new show. He goes, he goes, I'm I'm moderate about most things, and I find it very difficult to be having conversations with people. And this is Heggie's line, not mine, because I do not want to take credit of it because it's fucking perfect. He goes, seems like opinions the only thing in a hurry to be binary lately. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's that's good, fucking good, man. And and I watched him say that in Melbourne, and everyone, I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> like the whole room. Yeah. I'm like, that's yeah. the shit, bro. Yeah. Get it in. Just a quick moment away from Josh Epps to let you know that if you want to get in touch with me, it's super easy. Send Osher email at gmail.com. And um, if you haven't heard the Imperfect podcast that came out the other week with Hoyman and Hugh Quillenberg, um, do check it out. It's not often that I get to be. Uh, on the receiving end of a conversation. I'm normally the one who's instigating a conversation on this show. So it's, it's nice. And in fact, it even I'm a bit inspired by it. I'd love to know your thoughts. I'm thinking about trying to do a different version of this show that's a little more regular, that has a, a regular other person. Because it's nice to have those kind of conversations that I otherwise don't really get to have here because I'm too busy focused on my guest. 
So check it out and let me know what you think. Uh, send off your email at gmail.com. If this podcast is of value to you, please consider just sharing it with someone. Hit the little three dots or the arrow or the hamburger or whatever it is in the corner of your app and send it, text it, Facebook it, you know, share it to your feed. However, just sharing this podcast is really, really huge help and I'd really appreciate it because that does a massive heap of good for us. Uh, we're back with Josh Steps in a moment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How long would you, Josh, feel okay for, let's say, for example, someone who had horribly beaten until they died their romantic partner, how long would you feel okay for that, it's going to be a man, for that man to have been in an institution until you were cool with them moving in next door to you and being a neighbour and saying, hey, man. Mm. Well, that's why we have parole boards, isn't it? <laughs> to try to figure out when that yeah. point is. But even so, like, you know that about that person. Yeah. How long... Does that person I mean, the simple be- answer is you don't ever want them moving yeah. in next to you. But I mean, this is a little bit like that. Uh, you remember there was a, well, it was before our time, our memories, but there's a legendary presidential debate. And I think it was Dukakis in the 80s who was against the death penalty. And the, uh, <laughs> the moderator of the debate said, uh, imagine if your wife was brutally raped and murdered, would you not want to kill the person who did that. And he waffled on about the importance of compassion or whatever. Mm. And many analysts think that it lost him the debate and lost him the presidency or contributed to it. Uh, And of course, the correct answer to that is, you know, if I met that person, I'd want to rip that person's head off and shove it up his ass. But that's exactly why we have a justice system and why we don't leave things up to each other to try to sort out our own problems. We have a justice system, we have the police, we have the courts, and we have laws. And I don't think that those laws should be putting people on the electric chair because they did something heinous like that. So don't leave the question up to me, the grieving husband in that scenario. Like, that's the correct answer. And so, the, and it reminds me of that with this person moving in as well. Yeah, I don't want that person moving in next to me. However, you know, it's not up to me and it shouldn't be up to me whether that person moves in next to me. Mm. We need a consistent system that makes sense for everybody. As you mentioned earlier, like it's important that we talk about the bits that we don't want to talk about, but be okay with the parts of it that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and notice, is it making me uncomfortable because of something it reminds me of? Or is it making me uncomfortable because it is so out of the generally accepted values of our community that I don't think I'll be alone in 
this being uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, the other problem with having uncomfortable conversations at the moment is that there's such a penalty for broaching anything that's not predictable pap and, and yeah. easy to digest nonsense. In the world of science, like it's it's not like people don't try everything to solve a problem. It's pe- like people don't try unconventional ways to let's add this in, let's add that in, let's mix this chemical in, let's mm. like, oh, fuck, it exploded. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's start again because we're, bu- we're all we're trying to do here is solve a problem. Right. So let's start again, let's try again. Yet when it's conversation, when it's idea, it, it, it brings up so much reactionary emotion is becomes difficult when you're being particularly challenged when you're making your show you like to boast that you're like i like to be you know i like to mm, be challenged i like mm, having it mm. when you're being particularly challenged do you find yourself down regulating do you find yourself taking a breath do you find yourself observing oh oh that's rage oh interesting <laughs> it's very rare very yeah. rare that i feel rage about ideas i might mm. feel rage. i might feel frustration towards people who are refusing to be honest and who are peddling oh bullshit and who are being evasive and who are spouting slogans or cliches. But I'm pretty good by now. I've done my 10,000 or 100,000 hours of interviewing and I'm pretty yeah. good at like just calling them on it directly and, just, and yeah. in, a, in a pleasant way, yeah. a non-threatening way and just being like, no, come on. That's a, that's, you sound like a, you're reading off a script. That's not real. What do you actually think? You know, and yeah. so I think there's a way of doing it. I mean, I get, if I'm in a a genuine confrontation where someone pulls a, a card, like plays a card that I really wasn't expecting, that I mm-hmm. think is not fair game or something, or starts bro, accusing me. Plenty. Of, if someone wants to go personal yeah. on you, you are exactly like as far as surface area. You're you're a big <laughs> I'm, fucking I'm target, a big man. Target. I'm a yeah. huge target, and so then yes, I try to breathe. I try to pull back. I try to take time. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm not in, in a, a one-on-one conversation, uh, an interview situation, if if it's on social media mm. or if it's in print or something, sleeping on it never hurts. I have had a, a situation recently where someone was libeling me and defaming me and smearing me on social. And I just reached out to that person on e- via email privately and said, I don't think that social media is really the place to have this conversation. And I invited them on the podcast and they will be coming on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. I'm very much looking forward to to mm. that. I, I, I would love to have that amount of bravery. I mean, it's just such nonsense. I mean, it, this will come back to that, what I was saying earlier about yeah. can you articulate your opponent's point of view? Like, yeah. I'll be fascinated to know. In fact, that maybe this is giving me my first question here to this person. Like, tell yeah. me what you think that I think. Yeah. That would be, I'd be really interested to know what this yeah. person thinks that I think. When someone tries to tell you mm. what they think you think, how would you imagine they would respond if you said, okay, so what you've got there is like you have made an assumption that, you know, so if it was talking about me, you've made an assumption that I want to open the borders to everybody and I would let anybody in and no criminal checks. I never said that. Mm. In fact, I don't feel that. Mm. It's got nothing to do with where I am. Th- that would be difficult to derail someone. That would be difficult to suddenly then start to recalibrate, you know, as you spoke with somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. Difficult for them, you mean. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is that this yeah. person has to say about what I believe is yeah. completely wrong because they are making claims about my beliefs mm. that off the basis of something, I mean, it's just a completely different worldview. It's, it's, it's so bizarre to me that people think that they can 
hear a soundbite out of context or see a tweet or, mm-hmm. you know, read something in an article and that they're entitled to take such instant moral high ground over, you know, cultural or political hot button issues yeah. without without interrogating whether or not they might be coming from a particular perspective mm. that forms a particular attitude towards you know, this person, and this person happens to have triggered some tripwire that's a particular hobby horse of theirs. And so now that per- now I'm I'm the enemy, so they can make all kinds of assumptions, and they will just be vastly way off the mark. Because, I mean, increasingly, on the question of sort of thinking in silos, increasingly we're thinking of ourselves as being on teams, as being in binaries. Yeah. And so when the person sees that you hold position X, mm. that most people who hold are on this other binary, then automatically you're on the other team and they think they can make all kinds of other assumptions. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is extraordinary when you think about it. You know, you were talking about left and right yeah. before. It is extraordinary that if you tell me what you think about corporate tax rates, I can predict with reasonable certainty what you think about climate change, for example, or <laughs> like abortion rights in the United States. Yeah. You know, or a First Nations representation in Parliament here. Yeah. Like why these are all very different ideas. Why are we all ticking checkboxes that align in the same column if we're on the left or if we're on the right? I mean, surely an independent thinker is going to be bouncing all over the place because some yeah. things will be on their merits and other things will will be different. So it, it, it infuriates me when people think that they can peg me just because they're too lazy to think independently. Like, right. fuck you. If you want to think inside your own stupid silo and your own binary, yeah. that's fine. Don't make me the enemy just because I'm not singing along to your hymn sheet. You don't get to tell me what to believe or what to say. I'm going to have the conversations that I think are reasonable with yeah. people who I want to talk to. And we're going to try to make sense of this world. And if you think there's any other way that civilization is going to solve the major problems that we face, other than by talking to each other in a spirit of generosity and doing our best to understand each other and having conversations that are fearless and uncomfortable, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear how else we grope our way towards a better future. That really seems to be it, is that you could have a line around the block of people who would be entertained until the end of days by you know, looking at the cartoons or making fun of, you know, the other side or they're so fucking right or they're so fucking typical wokey snowflake, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Fuck, that's not going to get us anywhere. We we don't move. We don't get anywhere if that happens because the only way out of this is if people who generally don't see eye to eye on some things, on most things, find a way to see eye to eye on some things. Yeah, and, exactly. And that, you, that can only come, I think, you said the spirit of generosity, like, surely it's like, it's like, it's like fucking marriage counseling 101. It's like, let's look for a solution here. Mm. We both want, you know, this family holiday to be a good one, <laughs> whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You want Gold Coast. I want Torquay. Okay. At the base of it, it is- We go on a wagger. Whatever. But it's like the base of it is our family together having a fun time creating memories. Now, mm. where can we do that that makes us all? Because that's what we both agree on. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's the thing we're looking for. Yeah. All right, is this. You think, you know, surface paradise, where the ocean meets the ice? I think, you know, talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grim spot, man. I love it. It's a fucking grim spot. I love it. And that, you know, it's the idea of just at least acknowledging another person's humanity and the well, idea I mean, that they also might want to have 
some of the similar things. They just take their fucking bins out on a Wednesday just like me, man. I love the analogy <laughs> of the family holiday because it recognises that the family is a is a unit that you're not going to escape from. You're not going to go on separate family holidays, right? And one of you isn't going to go to Torquay and the other one to surfers because if you do, then the family disintegrates and yeah. that's called separating and that's no longer a family. No. Despite what you tell your kids when Despite it happens. Despite what you tell exactly. <laughs> and I just pause because Sean and I go on separate holidays all the time. I, you know, I, go, I haven't but, even but, talked to you about your but, Africa adventure. Yeah, I went to Africa. Oh. He's, he went you just went to Bali, but that's that's not what we're talking about. On a national level, yeah, you have to live with these people. Yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to share a country and a demos and a polity with people who you disagree with. That's just part of the the bargain. That's the deal that we've been hand, handed in liberal democracies. If you don't want that, then you want a one party state, which of course you want if you run it, but isn't so great if the other people run it. So. Finding a way to interpret your opponents in the most generous possible light and to find common ground, you don't do it in order to be generous. You do it because it's in your interest because you have to live in the same country as as these people. And it seems like on both sides, there's this purity complex. There's this fundamentalist fervor where right-wingers really believe at the moment that the foundations of civilization are being undermined by perverts and people of color and transgender people and, you know, ideologues who are subverting everything that's good and traditional about our our civilizations. And people on the left just believe that, like, you know, far-right neo-Nazis are on the brink of, of taking over and pushing all of the, the gays and people of color into concentration camps. And neither of those realities are true. The number of people who believe those things are vanishingly small. Most of us just have to live along with each other and, as you say, take out the bins on a Wednesday night and deal with the fact that our neighbours don't necessarily agree with us about everything. And so as far as I'm concerned, we don't we don't really have a choice. I mean, you're not getting anywhere by carrying the flaming torch down the street and, and trying to expunge society of evildoers. If you're doing that, then you're just on the side of Joe McCarthy and you're mm. on the side of the, the witch hunters. They, they brought us nothing but suffering and division and civil yeah. war. You know, stop being so right. But, yeah, but it, it feels, it, it, it's seductive. It's you know, great. I mean, it, we love yeah. it. Yeah, it's it, hardwired in us. It feels delightful to be assured by another person. And that, yes, you're right to feel mm. that, Josh. You're fucking- And I mean, I, you know, it's, I wouldn't be the first person to note the decline of religion amid the rise of all this certainty, yeah, yeah. right? You know, people used to have cosmic certainties and we have less of that now. And so we're groping for cultural certainties. And there are a lot of similarities, you know. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of the linguist uh, who writes a column for the New York Times. uh, No, he's uh, an African-American guy who he's a sort of an anti-woke academic. um, John McWhorter is his name. And he's he's written a book called Woke Racism. And it's basically, he basically draws an analogy between. So think about some of the hallmarks of religion. You know, you go to a confessional and you confess your sins. So a lot of the current moment is about white people confessing their complicity in white supremacy supremacy, acknowledging it. It's not good enough to say, I'm not racist. Everyone's racist. You have to accept that as a kind of original sin, mm. right? Uh, yeah. You know, this is this is embedded in us. There's well, no point in denying it. Yeah. Right? So you have an original sin. That's one component. You can you have confession. You have redemption. You have sort of, I'm doing, you know, I'd realize that this is a time to for me not to speak, but to listen and for me to do a lot of work on myself. I'm and made a diversity Yeah, exactly. That's right. So diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and, and this sort of thing. This is an act of redemption. And he he sort of, you know, creates this this model in which there's a comforting certainty, a comforting justice in 
this way of thinking and it's simple and it's faithful and it is absolutely devastating to non-believers. It's vicious to non-believers. The only reason why a non-believer would be a non-believer is because they haven't seen the light and they're kind of beyond the pale. It's fucking good. And it's got an internal logic to its own. You know, if, if you... If you say, well, I'm not sure that I really agree with that I'm racist. I mean, I don't think I am racist. Well, then your rejection of the term is evidence that you need more. You need to be doing more work. Try to question where that's coming from. It's probably coming from your racism. So it's like the witch denying that they're a witch. I mean, the denial is You'd say that, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. course, Exactly. Of course a witch would deny that. Yeah. So it's a funny, we're, we're not thinking clearly at the moment. We're not in a good place. How do we get to thinking clearly, Josh? Solve the world's problems, buddy. Whew. Where do we start? Have more courage. I think people need more courage. Yeah. Especially people in the public sphere just have to have conversations like the one we're having now and the one that I have every week on Uncomfortable Conversations. Follow Josh on Substack. Follow me on Substack, yeah, where you can get a premium version of my podcast uh, for a very Fuck reasonable your price. your fucking fade outs. Fuck you. Yeah. You get so fucked you're off. Too, you pick such cheap. a good spot to do. You're too cheap to pay. You, f- uh, you pick such a good spot to do it, too. Yeah, yeah. You're like, always. oh, that's really good. You know, you could, on your income, Oshie, you could probably afford to subscribe to the uh, premium feed. But you're right. I've been. I've just been fucking slack. <laughs> you're, I've just been slack. Because I know I should explore Substack, and I've been thinking, mate, is that a place for me? It's not very know. hard. It's not hard to do. It's a one-click, yeah. uncomfortable conversation substack.com slash listen and then it'll just prompt you and you'll get your own premium podcast I'll sort it out it's great so one thing to do would be to I just think for people to grow a pair basically Mm. I I can't tell you how many times I'm having dinner with some famous you know person who would have the power to shift the needle on the public conversation around this stuff and they're like I can't I I couldn't I mean I work for you know a big corporation i mean I, I could get fired i could get you know mm. they're just terrified of the mob coming for them they're uh, with the flaming torches and creating a social media stir that would then require a lot of explaining and would would mischaracterize them so courage and then avoiding social media i mean i think it's oh, getting yeah. easier to avoid social media now uh, it's I, becoming more apparent i haven't got near twitter in a long time yeah yeah, like, it's not a good place. No. It's not a good place. But we live also in a very interesting time of media and broadcasting where the gatekeeper model is mm. dying like a fucking, speaking of chimp empire, is like literally the the monkey that's getting hunted yeah. by the troop yep. of chimps. And it knows it. And mm. it's howling through the trees as it goes. And yet there are voices that, you know, at the same time, there's an opportunity to amplify voices that would otherwise not get heard. And someone like yourself being brave enough to say the conversation, have the kind of conversations that you're having, eventually, I, I have no doubt, will rise to a point. I remember the, the, the day I was, I was chatting with Will Anderson, I was all fucking despondent. This is when I was in my angry face. Right. And he was like, mate, never forget, more people follow me on Twitter than buy that paper every day. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Yeah, it's that's okay. right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So mm. voices like yourself, conversations that you're having mm. will start to get elevated beyond the point of what currently is the yeah. only thing to be yeah. on. And it's, it's closing in. It's closing oh, absolutely. In I mean, it's already, in terms of the amount of attention that people pay yeah. 
the independent media sphere, I think, is mu- people are much more loyal to it than they yeah. are to conventional media. Except me, because I didn't subscribe. But, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but but, I but, I, but I'll bet that you get that if you've ever had any conversations about what Josh Sepps said the other day, I'll bet it's come from my podcast and not from the three hours a day that I do on ABC Radio. You know, no offense to my radio show, which is great and everyone should listen to it. The reality is people have a more loyal relationship with podcasters than they do with radio. They don't have three hours in a radio to listen to your radio. And, well, if I, right. and the thing is, if I miss your opening monologue, I'm like, ah. That's it. We're done. It's a monologue that I love. <laughs> That's the part I love, man. I love that. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, the, the art and science of ABC <laughs> broadcasting. I want to learn it. I want to get to do it. Uh, I, I want to sail off in the sunset doing it, but you're in the chair and uh, I'll figure it out. Until uh, you'll figure it out. Uh, but I mean, you know, I when, when I was in just a final anecdote on that, when I was living in New York and I spent most of my professional life in the United States, um, I got a segment on the Today Show with uh, Al Roker and uh, like Kathy Lee Gifford yes. and Hoda. They're like, it's a great, it's great. Anyway, fun times. The biggest show in the world, the Today yeah. Show. 40 million viewers, right? You know, 30 Rock. The limo comes and picks you up at 4.30 in the morning. They take you into makeup. You're there. It's the the Rockefeller Center. It's like wow. it's fabulous. I loved it. And I, I hit the ball out of the park every time because I wanted to get it right. And I would just go on and I'd talk about, you know, a few things that have been crossing my desk at HuffPost uh, and we'd, we'd laugh and have a good time. And uh, then I started going on Joe Rogan's podcast, which uh-huh. I've been on seven times. And this was before <laughs> Joe was really Joe, right? I mean, I've been on now that he's really Joe as well, and it's a different level. But even when he was back in sort of, you know, 10 or 20 million (laughs) listeners, (laughs) you know, a mere nothing uh, rather than the hundreds or whatever he has now, I would go on the Today Show and I would get off set and turn my phone on and I would have one text message from a co-worker who I'd worked with 18 months ago saying, oh, saw you on the Today Show. Congratulations. I would go on Rogan's podcast, (laughs) the alternative media which, you know, people at the Today Show would poo-poo. And my own podcast, every time I was on Joe's show, would end up in the number one or two spot on the iTunes, like, top podcast in the world list after going on Joe's show. Because people who listen to Joe are loyal to Joe and they're really listening. 40 million people are watching the Today Show. You know how they're watching? They're in the kitchen making sandwiches for their kids and it's on in the background. They're not paying any attention. They're not seeing who's on there. They're not giving a shit. It's wallpaper. It's on in airports, you know? But people are listening to podcasts and people are focused on independent media. So, yeah, I mean, when the day comes when I lose my job because someone is able to cobble together a bunch of controversial things that I've said and take me down, uh, then I'll have a good living in the independent media sphere. And that'll happen if culture keeps going the way that it is. If the- you won't, but you won't get taken down because I have every I have every confidence, Josh, that you will be able to eloquently and more beautifully than anyone who has ever been taken to task like that before, you will be able to so wonderfully put to this situation. Well, um, it, <laughs> the reality of the situation. It depends on it depends on the courage of people in positions of power. So when I say that you know everybody needs to grow a pair, it's not just conversationally people uh, speaking up when they hear other people sort of saying rote kind of things that sound yeah. very politically correct or sound like they've just heard it from you know yeah. Andrew Bolt saying it. It also means that people in corporations and government have to stop being so frightened of social media campaigns against them. And at the moment, I mean, touch wood, I think people in positions of power still come from an old school, small L liberal idea that there's value in the exchange of a diverse range of ideas. So it's probably not the case that they would capitulate at the moment, my current employers. But in 20 years, people who've gone through 
university in the past 10 years will be in those positions of power. And I think they'll just take an attitude that they seem to to everything else, which is why would you tolerate hate speech and bigotry? Why would you want to live in a society where those ideas are aired? Not understanding that unless you air ideas that are controversial or pushing the envelope, then you'll never understand why it is that you don't agree with them and you'll never understand why you believe what you believe. We cannot vaccinate against a pathogen without first introducing the pathogen. Exactly. Or a, a weaker version, a safe version of the pathogen. That's and right. And it is in the conversation about, for example, Nazism, Right. that you can chat about it rather than mm. in the moment when someone's fucking seek hiling me on the beach in, Br- in Brighton, mm. in, in Victoria, like, mm. oh, I can't think at that point. Yeah. Fuck no. I'm just yeah. like, this is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, get away, kids. Yeah. Um, that's scary as fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope that won't happen. I'd like to think it won't. Well, see. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you back here in a year's time for my yeah. annual appearance uh, uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'll make you a coffee. With my 21 too. grams of I love perfect you, Josh. coffee. I love you, Osha. You probably need to wee now. Uh, I need to wee. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of this show, Josh Zepps. He's great. You can find him on um, ABC Radio in Sydney. He's also on his podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations with Josh Depps, which you can find where you found this podcast. He has a Substack. Uh, so there's a subscription version of his show, which kind of the last third or the last half, depending on the guest, is hidden behind that. And it's really good. It's very well worth it. And he's also got a fantastic book, a kid's book about a swaddle dog, which I really, really like. Josh is great. And I loved that conversation. It was super good. If this podcast has been helpful for you, could you please consider subscribing it, liking it, following it, sharing it, whatever it is that you do, the support you give to help us amplify what we're doing here does a, a massive lot to us. In fact, I love seeing other podcasters, mates of mine who are doing so well on Patreon and stuff like that, but you sharing this with someone else, that does great for us too. It really helps us. It supports us in a big, very serious financial way when you let another listener know about this. It's really good for us. So please go ahead and do that. You can also email me anytime. Send us your email at gmail.com. All the links are in the show notes, all the Discord, all the mailing list, everything's in the show notes. So get on there. Thanks so much to everyone that helped me make this episode. Andy Marr, who did the audio and video post. I don't know if there's video post for this one because I fucked up the cameras. Um, Abby Benno, who did the, produced the episode. Tell Hyder, who made all the music. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on Wednesday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>